Let's continue worship with a reading from Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to church. Please say hello to someone as you sit down. Good morning. Glad you're with us today. If you're a guest, welcome. My name is Chris. I'm staff here at Riverstone. Glad you're here. Let me uh, start by reading a scripture, uh, and then we'll jump in. Um, scripture today is going to be Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. It's actually the rest of um, what Mike read earlier. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, uh, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They've become calloused and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What's that look like? Well, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. That's what it looks like. For we're members of one another. Be angry. Don't sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would Grant us the grace right now um, that our spirits and minds and lives would maybe begin a process today of transformation that we maybe didn't even think possible. Maybe we just thought that we're just going to be angry. We're just going to be stuck in relationships that's, that are horrible, that are strife and tension. And maybe it's just the deal. God, I, I pray today that you would set us free, Father. I pray that you would shed light on a lie that maybe many of us have been believing about whether or not we can actually be changed. Father, Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would touch my heart, our hearts, in a way that we walk out of here different in the name of Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come with power 
to do the things that we find ourselves helpless to do. And often, God, it's simple things, just like loving people. Have mercy on us, God. We love you. There's no other name in heaven by which we can be saved. Jesus, Son of God, praise you. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started a conversation about maturity. The whole point uh, was just to introduce a rather uh, annoying, under-the-surface reality, which is physical maturity, growing old, becoming a mature man or woman who can procreate, <laughs> who owns a house, has a car, whatever, can keep a job, okay, all right, is not the same thing as spiritual, emotional, relational maturity. Uh, I know you're probably thinking, well, does that really need to be said? It does, because there is such thing as a grown baby, and all you have to do is drive through Gwinnett County on a Friday afternoon, you'll see pretty quickly, just because you can drive doesn't mean you are a mature, wise, patient person, right? You've seen people, pitch like royal fits behind the wheel, right? Sign language, waving their hands, swerving, right? It seems to me that there are two places that true colors are seen in our society today, uh, behind the wheel and behind the screen, right? Social media. Uh, but the point is, uh, physical maturity uh, was not optional for you. Physical maturity. You grew. Your body, your growing body changed, right? And will continue to change. Uh, spiritual maturity, emotional, mat- relational awareness, that is kind of optional. It's, kinda, it's not going to automatically happen. It won't, right? Now, as you'll see today, uh, spiritual and emotional and relational maturity um, is changing in you. It is changing. That condition, your maturity right now, is changing. Uh, But the question today is towards what and by what influences. So while God can and will over and over and over again supernaturally engage you, like just like the children of Israel, right? Like supernaturally engaged, right? You, in the end, will choose whether or not you will reorient your life around that supernatural work, right? Like I think, this is what I believe about God, right? church and all that, right? I think you can come church. I think God can supernaturally just flip you upside down or rather right side up, right? Like we can be doing life upside down and we can walk in, maybe just take a risk, go forward for prayer, maybe in worship, right? And God just whack, bam, slam you right side up. You see everything differently. You change, man, like supernaturally change in a moment. I believe God can do that. But unless you go through your life and then start flipping right side up all the other things that were in your life, right? Like all your habits and attitudes and thinking patterns. If you don't start flipping that stuff over, guess what happens? You just naturally tend to flip right back upside down. Like there was, and Dallas Willard Divine Conspiracy opens his book with an example of a fighter pilot who did not know he was upside down. You're going so fast, he wasn't paying attention, he's out of ocean, and when you're out in the ocean, the blue and the blue, right? And he was actually upside down, pulled up thinking he was going up, went right down in the ocean and killed himself. Sometimes that can happen in our own lives. We can be flying upside down and not even be aware of it. And I think God can supernaturally flip you over, right? But if you don't go through the process of, like if your whole life's upside down, everything's upside down. You've been working with, and you gotta say, oh, actually, oh, that should be this way. Oh, you don't oppress and manipulate to lead. Oh, wow, I gotta flip that right side up. Oh, you give your life away to gain it. Whew, I had that backwards. 
right? The God's economy upside down in many ways to how we think about life, right? So we're going through some of our values as a church, right? And these are kind of ingredients that we'll say, hey, listen, these will always be present in a growing Christian, right? So if you're going to grow, it's optional. If you're going to mature, that's optional. As a disciple of Jesus, we're going to say, hey, here's the four areas that you need to be pushing the gas in. These areas, these attitudes will always characterize the life of the disciple of Jesus. We have four. Uh, this is in no way an exhaustive list, right? Um, we're going to hit more ideas than these four in this series, but here are the four. Worship, mission, community, and formation. And as your pastor and as a church, I will continually be pushing you to these four things, saying, hey, look, listen, yo, if these aren't going on in your life, if you aren't pushing as an individual, right, your Christian life is probably a little bit out of balance, out of balance. There's, if you aren't pushing, the, if you aren't engaging in these four areas, right, there is probably some stagnation in your Christian walk because these things always characterize the life of the Christian who is thriving in his relationship with God, almost without exception, worship, mission, form community, and formation. Today, I want to deal with the one that's probably the most uh, ambient, right, needs the most explanation, which is formation. What does that mean? It's, it's pretty simple. Uh, it's really um, acknowledge formation. What do we mean by that? Well, it's really acknowledging a process that is already happening in your life. Uh, but it's a subtle process, um, and it's a process that surprisingly is hard to see in yourself for all sorts of reasons. Uh, when we say formation, we want you to, what we want you to know is that you are already being formed. Or you could say it this way, you are becoming someone. You are becoming someone right now. You are becoming a kind of person constantly, continually. See, we tend to think of life and people as rather static, don't we? Static, boring. We go through life uh, thinking yeah, maybe you're kind of like a robot or like we're a cog in a machine. And unless something like really drastic happens, I don't know, like a global pandemic, things and people tend to stay the same. We just kind of think that. Listen, I just want to tell you right now, um, that is not true. You are not a static being. You are dynamic in nature, in essence. You are constantly changing, constantly changing. Now, this is true scientifically. The second law of thermodynamics, as I under thermodynamics, I said thermodynamics, I think. Um, obviously, I'm not a professional, but I can have internet access and smart friends, is um, the process, it, which is a slowly losing effectiveness. Things are slowly losing effectiveness and will eventually equalize and stop. Right? Unless you do something about it. Everything is sort of winding down unless more energy is introduced. So even scientifically, life and energy and the cosmos is always changing. Reality is dynamic, not static. Despite the kind of um, superficial observation that everything is staying the same. We just, I mean, you look at a tree. It was there yesterday. It's probably the same. That's not true. That tree is changing and growing. Dude, tides are ebbing and flowing. You think, oh, it's not, nothing's really happening. I'm looking at the water. No, dude, that's moving. It's in motion. Even the universe is said to be expanding, okay? So you look at the stars, like nothing's happening. The sun, right? No, apparently it's slowly expanding, right? Okay, right? So this is also true of your emotional, relational, and spiritual state. You are in motion. It's an illusion that you're sitting still as, you, as a person, Listen, look, we're just out the gate. You are not the same person you were a year ago. You're not. 
five years ago, 10 years ago, time, you're not the same person you were 10 years ago. Something's happening. You are changing. I'm not just talking about your body now. I'm talking about your soul, your spirit, your maturity, uh, your emotional awareness. Dude, that is, you are constantly changing. You are constantly being formed. The question has never been, am I changing? Am I being formed? The question is, who are you becoming? And really, maybe the more important question is, what are you allowing to form you? That's what we mean when we say formation. What are you allowing to form you? Because you are being formed. What are the reference points, the sources of energy and life that you were drawn to? What are the outside sources that you are giving your attention and energy into that are inevitably pressing on you? Not too different than a mold presses on soft wax and forms it, right? Every day, there are a million things doing this to you. A million things forming you, depending on how much attention you give to what, right? Your circumstances, your relationships, uh, what we look at, what we read, what we love. All of these things are forming you. They are turning you into a kind of person. Now, now we understand this in traumatic events, don't we? Right? Like someone gets in a car accident, and then they are shy when it comes to driving, don't want to drive. Now, we understand that. Dude, that car accident formed them, didn't it? It changed them. It changed how they look at driving. changed how they look at red lights. Every time they come to the red light, they start sweating, right? That formed them. In traumatic things, we understand. That. Let's say a friend betrays you, just stabs you in the back, and now your guard is up. Right? Guys, this is a very simple observation. You're being formed by things, circumstances, events, what you give your attention to, all of it's forming you. Sure, in traumatic things, we see it, but we often don't realize it's true for really small, seemingly insignificant decisions uh, and habits that are on autopilot in your life. Those are also forming you. They're making you into a kind of, every time you look at a thing, Whatever it is, maybe it's some item you want to buy. Look, the, the attention, what you give your attention to, right? Maybe it's a person you want to have or experience you want, right? Every time you allow your mind to drift to this or that, it's forming you into a kind of person. It is, look, it is creating mental pathways that are easier to stay on and harder to get off, right? So an interesting image that might give us some uh, understanding of what I'm, you know, trying to communicate right here, poor me, trying to communicate, right, is a bonsai tree. Bonsai tree. Uh, Mr. Miyagi knows what's up. Um, that tree is going to grow, right, as long as it has the right ingredients, right, uh, soil, sun, water, blah, 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 it's going to grow. It's going to change. Now, uh, if you stop giving it those ingredients, it won't stay the same. No, it'll start dying, right? So either way, it's going to be going in a direction. There's one point. Now, the other point is Mr. McGee, Mr. McGee, <laughs> That's Christian. Who, who knows who that is? Mr. You grew up in church? Sorry, thank you. Mr. Miyagi, sorry, uh, wants it to look epic cool, right? He wants it like sweet ninja samurai vibe. So he takes this hard wire, you ever seen this, and wraps it around the tree. And he literally tells the tree which way to grow. And he can make it look as cool and gnarly as he wants to make it, right? Takes these wires. He introduces these kind of hard structures and really oppresses the tree. <laughs> kind of, you could say that's oppressive, right? And he, he um, makes the tree grow into this form that he wants, and it looks so cool. Dude, I do not have the patience for bonsai. Does it look super cool? Yes. Am I super drawn into it? I love that stuff. No, I don't want the patience for it, right? So this is a really good picture for the formation of our character because many of us simply don't have the patience for it. We don't have the patience to submit 
or even sit down to think about our habits and what we spend our time doing and what you really give your attention to. All of those things, y'all, are like the hard wire that guys use to form bonsai trees. They're forming you in a certain way. They're making you into a kind of person, right? Um, so like, like I don't have the patience for bonsai. Some of us just don't have the patience to sit with, hey, dude, actually, what is the practical aspects of my life doing to my soul? Like the fact that I doom scroll for two hours before I get to go to bed every night on social media. I wonder what that's doing to my soul. I, I, I would dare to venture that's impacting the way you look at the world, friend. Like in a toxic way. <laughs> There are things that you practice. See, we dismiss really physical, tangible things as non-spiritual. That's not true. That you are an embodied person. You know what I mean? You, are a, you have a body. The things you do with your body are going to impact your spirit. Right? There's all sorts of things in Scripture like this. So last week we said, uh, spirituality, y'all, maturity, sorry, mature spirituality does not happen automatically. Like, you will change. You will be formed. Your character will change. You're a different person you are than you were 10 years ago. Your bodies have changed. The question is, are you aware of the process? Are you aware of the fact that your soul is being formed by the things you do? And are you engaging in that process at all? If you aren't, in some way willing to take ownership and, and direct that process in your soul, if you won't allow your soul to be led, to be formed, like the chances are it's changing. It's changing for the worse, right? I mean, your body's changing, right? Some of us are like, yeah, I know that. Thanks for pointing it out, right? All the junk I point, put in there, right? Okay, well, your soul's not that different, y'all. You put trash in, it gets trashy on the inside, right? Your soul is going in a direction, based on repetitive and habitual influences that you allow in, right? Are you becoming less self-controlled, less loving, less forgiving, less like Jesus? Because just like your body's not saying the same, your soul is on the move. What's the direction? That's the question. You're not a static being. I think you get it by this point. Let me just point out one other area where this unconscious change is taking place in us, and then we'll move on. Um, it's the area in, of relationship, long-term relationship. Um, this idea that reality is not static, but is rather constantly changing, can be observed in long-term relationships. If you've been married for more than five to ten years, uh, shoot, one year, you know this. Guys, look at me right here. Dude, married men, look at me right now. If you begin to think, well, I put a ring on it. We did the deal. We got married. Therefore, I no longer need to engage and pursue. I can stop chasing after her heart. I can stop being vulnerable. I can stop putting forth the effort. She said yes 15 years ago. We're good. Okay, well, has she said yes today? I love you. Dude, I love you. Listen to me. If you have stopped pursuing, if you have stopped chasing, if you have stopped going after her heart, if you have stopped giving her space to be known, you've lost her. All right? You're going to find out pretty quickly you're still married, you're still wearing a ring. You're still committed in a legal sense, but she's checked out because you've checked out, because the romance and the love, the joy, because you have stopped pursuing. You stopped putting in the effort, right? The, the romance is gone, right? You're married to a stranger because when we begin to think things are static and therefore we're good and therefore I can stop doing the good, right, and healthy things I did in the beginning to make them good, it immediately starts going in the opposite direction. It does not stand still. It is moving in a direction. Your relationships will not stay still. It's moving because you are changing. And you are moving. It's why fire is the go-to metaphor for romance. Think of fire. Fire can warm you to the being. Mm, praise his name. Huh? 
right? But you quit putting wood on the fire, you disengage and leave it to itself, the fire will go out. Because you've stopped doing the main, you've stopped doing the things that you, you did in the beginning to make that fire go. In the, I don't care if you've been married 40 years, 40 days. You can't sit down too long before the fire begins to wane. And if you don't get up, guys, talking to the guys primarily, and throw some fuel on that fire, the second law of third, th thermodynamics begins to kick in as I understand it, okay? Now, if this is true, if you are constantly changing, things are always moving, why isn't it more obvious? Why does the process often go unnoticed? Why is it that it seems that we just wake up one day and realize my marriage is in shambles, my soul feels shriveled, and I don't know God? Why is it that we have these moments where it's like we just wake up and realize, oh my gosh, I'm out at sea. I'm t I have zero points of reference anymore. I'm lost, I'm just being swung in the currents. I have no direction for my life. And it's like it just happened. Like we, things, we thought things were fine. Why does it happen that way? Let me tell you, dude, I've had that day. I've woken up and realized, dude, my life has gone off the reserve. I have no clue how I got here. I have no clue how to get back, right? And I don't know, I've had moments where I've woken up and said, I don't, I don't know God. I don't know what happened. I just don't know him anymore. And probably the biggest reason it's hard to see is that growth and personal change is measured better in years and decades than moments. It's measured in years and decades. See, it's easy to see things when they happen immediately, less so when it takes years or decades, right? So spiritual and physical growth are more like growing a garden and less like popping popcorn. So if you see my kids once a year, every time you see them, you'll be like, what is happening? You're huge, right? To me, I'm like, they look pretty much the same. But then you know what happens? One day I see my daughter, I'm like, where did those legs come from? Good Lord, slow it down, right? Like come to my senses, right? No, you don't see it when it's slowly, subtly happening. But if, you're, if you don't see them for like a year and you come back, right? You notice, right? Um, the question then comes, right? What does spiritual formation look like? Like how can we be formed in the right way? And then we think of scriptures like we read today, right? Well, okay, well you, you gotta love your neighbor, you gotta stop lying, you gotta stop cheating, you gotta stop doing all that kind of stuff, you gotta start obeying the teaching of Jesus, which is not wrong, okay? But if you notice, the passage we read, all of that, that whole list, was a consequence of something else. That whole list it gave that therefore, and then it starts going, that was describing what the new self looks like. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he says, therefore, having put away, blah, 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 and he goes on this long list, right? This has happened, therefore this, right? So if you step back and look, you realize in the whole content of the letter, the first half of Ephesians is laser focused on the revelation of what Jesus has done for us and in us. All right? The second half of the letter is a clear shift, and it now goes to this is what it looks like practically. This is what the supernatural power of Jesus looks like practically. Dude, Colossians is the exact same way. The first half of the letter of Colossians is like, this is what Jesus has done. Beautiful, cosmic Jesus, right? How, and then the second half is, therefore, if this is true, this is how our lives look, right? So in Ephesians 4, it's pointing out two main areas, two domains um, that matter greatly 
when it comes to who you are becoming. All right, let me just, here we go. The, the number one domain it points out, the big area like, that's impacting who you're becoming is your mind. It says the renewal of the spirit of your mind. That's the first area it points out. But then the second area it points out in that whole thing is the putting on the new self. Putting on the new self. So, so here's the renewal of your mind, and then here's what it looks like. And he gives this long list. So it's two domains, y'all. It's two domains. It's the mind and the body. Okay? It's the unseen and the seen, the mental and the physical, the spiritual and the practical. It's what you believe, yes, but it's also what you actually do with your body, okay? See, many of us, our modern forms of religious education are almost exclusively concerned with the first area. So, the mind, right? The unseen, the intellectual. Most of our modern forms of religious education are almost exclusively concerned with that first area. So in other words, you go to seminary, what you will learn is you need to believe a very distinct set of interpretations of scripture and that equals spiritual maturity. That equals discipleship to Jesus and it qualifies you to lead. In other words, higher education and religion, right? The focus is on grammatical, linguistic understanding of the text. Man, love that, right? So, like, obviously, grammar's not my strong point, right? <laughs> okay. So thankful for really smart people who can, like, parse verbs. I don't know. Do you parse verbs? I don't know, right? But dissect original languages. I'm like, super thankful for that. Love that. I'm always talking about that stuff in the pulpit. But it can inadvertently create a form of discipleship that emphasizes the renewing of your mind and disregards the reality of how you actually live. Does smart equal sanctified? Does religious knowledge equal holy? If discipleship to Jesus is only mental and never physical, only spiritual and never practical, I think we have to admit, y'all, in many circles of Christianity, the focus of spiritual maturity and discipleship is almost exclusively on believing the right things. But Jesus had his own inter uh, definition of what it means to be a disciple. In Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe, keep, diligently attend to all that I have commanded you. When we talk about spiritual growth and maturity, it's not just thinking rightly about doctrine. That's a big part of it, man. We're highly committed to that. The other part, maybe, maybe, maybe the more important part, I don't know, is actually submitting your habits and attitudes and life to the king and the kingdom. See, if discipleship to Jesus is only ever, only ever intellectual, then it can leave your, your real life warring against the king and his kingdom while you're inside of it. Because here you have all these habits of sin. You have the old self that you've not dealt with. But you just thought, I just have to believe the right things, and then those things just magically appear. I... I I don't know if that's exactly how it works. I don't know if you get things sorted up here that all the rest. Now, that's a big part of it, wasn't it? Number one was renewing the spirit of your mind. Big part. What do you think about what you're giving your attention to? But the second part is that it impacts the way you actually live. And if it never does, are you a disciple? I don't know. I, ah, can you follow someone without physically following them? Can you just mentally follow someone? I don't know. I'm not sure if you're a disciple of Jesus. If you've relegated all spiritual activity to simply the brain, 
No, dude, your body matters. What you do matters greatly. When we see lists, like in Ephesians 4, we often get the horse before the cart. We think this is a list of oughts and shoulds. This is how I should act. This is how I ought to act. And most people understand um, spiritual practices and the commands of Jesus like that. Praying, reading, giving, sacrifice, being, right? We think that's a list of oughts. We ought to do this. And they don't realize that this is not a list of things that you ought to do to earn heaven. Dude, that's been given in the sun. That's been given. This is a list of things that if you will routinely submit to them, if you will let these be the structure and influence that guides your growth, they will begin to transform who you are. They'll begin to change you. In the same way that <laughs> if the structures and forms of your life are vegging in front of Netflix for hours, it's forming you. So too, when we begin to submit to reading scripture and prayer and giving financially and all the things that are spiritual, it forms you, man. It changes you slowly, subtly, begins to turn you into someone who looks more like Jesus and can actually do the things that Jesus said we ought to be doing, right? These things are formational in your life. It's not just oughts and shoulds. I believe God will supernaturally transform you. He can, he does, always. But if you don't realize there are other forces at work in your life, specifically your established habits and routines, right? Like if his supernatural work never bears its weight in that area, isn't it kind of foolish to expect that we would grow and mature as a Christian? No matter how many spiritual experiences you've had, you're just going to begin to drift back upside down again. Now, this is what I want to do as we end today. I want to lead you through an exercise that I heard a pastor buddy do that I thought was so good, okay? And it's really just a bunch of questions that I'm going to ask you. So here's what we're going to do. Everyone good? Cool. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Take uh, what, however you need. Put your stuff down. You can sit and close your eyes. Just get comfortable. Um, and we're going to muster as much honesty and self-awareness <laughs> as, as possible. And I'm going to ask you some questions. You can close your eyes. You can leave it. Whatever. I don't care. All right? If you were to look at who you were a year ago and who you are now, okay, so like roll up all your habits and attitudes and practices, and if you took an assessment of the state of your soul a year ago compared to today, let's just say you located those two things on a chart, which direction is that chart going? Is that chart, is the trajectory of that towards the image and likeness of Christ? Or is it the opposite direction? If you then zoomed back 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and said, if I stay on the course I am going now, in 20 years, what, what kind of person will I be? Can I tell you that I've done this exercise on certain days and said, if I stay the path I'm going, I don't think I'll have a shred of faith in 20 years. I've been there. I've also done the exercise and said, dude, this is going to be awesome. Where are you? What is the trajectory that you are already on? Right? 
The other exercise that I would like really, really love if, if you did would be, um, not now, you'd have to do it later, uh, it's called a habit audit. You know what a tax audit is, right? Dig deep into your taxes. Um, a habit audit is when you make some space, get a pen and a paper, and you write down all of your automatic routines and habits that you do every day. It can take like 30, 45 minutes, right? To actually think about what do I actually do every day? Because mo most of us, we're on autopilot. And we're living our life really on autopilot. We're just doing what we are. Like, you don't think about, should I brush my teeth today? No, you just do it, right? There's a lot of things in your life like that. You just do it every day. But if you ask yourself, then what you do is you, you ask yourself, what is this habit doing to my heart? Like, what is me doing this every day? How is this impacting whether or not I can love Jesus? Whether or not I can love my wife, right? Does it encourage me towards loving Jesus? Or does it encourage me not the other way, right? So am I, does this, does what I do every day, is it frustrating me? Am I angrier at people, right? So, so here's a great example. If you listen to a certain podcast every day, I want you to ask yourself, okay, well, what is that thing doing to my heart? How do I feel after I listen to that every day? Am I more angry, more frustrated? Or am I able to love others and God more, right? When I'm laying in bed and scrolling down social media for an hour, what is that doing to your heart before God, right? Even like physically for me, like I will go all day and eat nothing, literally. I will not eat breakfast, I will not eat lunch. And then I'm like, why am I so angry and tired? It's like, duh, dummy, you're hangry, right? There are things like that in our lives that we're just not aware of. And all of a sudden, we begin to see a picture of a trajectory that we're already on. Already, I'm doing, I'm going in a direction in my heart and life. What is it? What's forming you? Because you have a part to play in that, right? Like, if you spend the hour of free time you have buying stuff on Amazon, dude, that's not as only as impacting your finances, <laughs> that's doing something to your soul. You're becoming a kind of person, right? And what you might start to realize, it, there are not clear lines, y'all between physical and spiritual acts. Everything you do is impacting both your body and your spirit, right? A habit audit is one of those things that everyone in this room would probably say, oh, that's a really good idea. Like, oh, wouldn't that, that's a good idea, Chris, right? Like you could probably practically grow. Like I could see that being impactful. Like I'd probably never do it. But man, like probably a really, don't do that. Like I do it, try it. I think many of us would be surprised if we actually tried to look at uh, how we're practically living our lives. And then began to realize, wow, man, I I'm actually going in a direction that I, I really don't want to be going in. I'm actually constantly and routinely doing things that are not making me into a person who loves Jesus and loves others, right? Can I pray for us, specifically in this area, before we come to the table? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would shed your light on things that we are mindlessly doing that, is, that are toxic for our souls. Father, would you just like turn the lights on in the room and help us begin to see, like even the way we've, we've put the furniture in our minds and hearts is an obstacle to the growth that you want to see in us. God, it's an obstacle to our maturity as a Christian. God, would you give us grace to begin to address habits that are just not healthy? Father, I pray for those in this room who really feel trapped 
in a pattern of living and thinking. God, nothing they've done has been able to shake loose a, a very unhealthy habit uh, and pattern. Would you, Holy Spirit, by the power of your spirit right now, God, would you just miraculously loosen something in their hearts in the name of Jesus? God, you are, um, rather, where your spirit is, it says there is liberty. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And God, would you give the kind of liberty to our hearts and souls that we just can't seem to give ourselves sometimes? Thank you, God. We love you. In your name we pray these things. Amen. We're about to come to the table.